Good morning. Good to see you again. Thanks to the worship team for leading us so well this morning. I want to show a picture to you on the screen today. Uh, some of you would know that it was John and Karen Knight's 35th wedding anniversary last weekend. They tried to not let us know, but we thank Facebook, the, uh, the giver of all great news. So happy anniversary to the two of you. And some of you would also know that John and Karen, their youngest son, Jonathan and Adrienne, are being married this summer as well. So exciting time for, for the Knight family. So we celebrate with you today. Uh, we're going to continue on in our values service or series here this morning. And do you remember the first time that you were at a friend's house and you realized that your friend's family was different than your family? Not bad, not worse, just different. They just were something different about their home. I remember going to a friend's house one time after supper just to kind of hang out and play and knocking on the door and asking if so-and-so could come out and his mom started yelling at her son saying, you do not go outside and play until you finished your homework. And this was a, kind of a scary moment for me. That was not kind of how things were at my house. And I realized in that moment that in this family, education is very important. They'll come out when they're finished with their homework. I remember going to another uh, friend's house for his 10th birthday. And um, the parents had rented a horror movie that they wanted to show us. Now, I had never seen a horror movie unless you count Bambi's mother being shot. Um, and I couldn't imagine parents being excited to show their children the la latest horror movie. I thought they must get some kind of kick out of watching children be traumatized. Um, and I didn't have language for it at the time, but they had different values than the home that I grew up in. And maybe you can think back in your childhood and remember moments where you started to realize they do things differently here. And those things that they do differently are shaped by the values you have. And you've got values too, whether you know them or, and can articulate them or not. Standards or principles that you hold to with great conviction and they shape your behavior. Maybe it's about how you handle your money or your time or you raise your kids or how you treat your mother. Um, if you want to find exercise later, you can kind of go home and try to figure out what are our values? What are the things that we kind of hold deeply to that are kind of shaping the way that we live our lives? Well, families have values and so do churches. And every church has values, values that make that church unique. Matt started us off last week talking about the values that we hold dear to as a church. And values are basically the things that we value. They're the things that we say are our priorities. They're the things that we deep and hold on to very, very deeply um, that kind of shape who we are and how we behave. Every church has the same mission. Jesus gave us that directly to go and make disciples. How we do that, given the people that we have and the resources at our disposal, is a church's vision. And that church will be, that vision will be unique. But values then act like the lines on a soccer field that kind of define what we will and what we won't do. Let me give you an example. I was recently at a meeting where we were talking about the future phases of this facility and thinking about, you know, if we add on here, we're going to lose parking. So if we lose parking, where else can we make parking? And uh, we had someone in from outside of our church who was very graciously helping us with that exercise. And he got joking with me. He said, you know, we've got to find premier parking for the pastors. And one of the people that was in that meeting kind of gave me a sideways look and we shared a smile. 
because this person didn't know that we make all of our staff park as far away from this building as possible. That's one of our values. And if you've been on our board of management, you'll know come Easter and high holidays like Christmas Eve, we're telling you take a bus, come by cab, park at Lansdowne Plaza, but don't take up one of our precious parking spots because those are for our guests. And we want to provide the best space possible for the people who would choose to come to church for the very first time. That was one of our values. And I noticed that in that eye contact, he recognized, you know, this person doesn't know us as well as he thinks. A number of years ago, 10 years ago, we talked about what are some of the values we hold to as a church. And we wrestled with them 10 years ago. And we started a, a practice again this, this winter and kind of started looking at them again and wrestling to see if they changed. They really hadn't changed much at all. So we want to unpack them for you. And it'll hopefully help you understand maybe why it is we do what we do. What are some of the things that we really hold dearly? And if we yell at you for using a parking spot, now you'll know why. We listed them last week, uh, and I know you all memorized them, but let me just kind of look at them again. The first is this, that we're gospel-centered. We are not just nice people doing nice things. We believe that Jesus has rescued us from sin and death, and that he has called us to offer that same rescue with everyone that we make contact with. That Jesus is bringing his kingdom to earth, and the vision of our church is to help bring that blessing and life of Christ that we've experienced ourselves to as many people as we can. And that's just at the heart of who we are. It's one of the things that we value. The other ones are mission-minded, uh, that we're compassionate, and that we are beautiful, which is to say that we are a diverse congregation. And we'll unpack each of these in the following weeks. But today I want to talk about the value of being a worshiping community. This is probably one of those values that a lot of churches would hold to, but I want us to spend some time on it today. So it'll help us understand why we prioritize time and staff and volunteers into what we call a Sunday morning worship service. Uh, first of all, let me define worship for us. Worship is the full life response to God for what he, who he is and what he's done. Worship is the full life response to who God is, his character, his nature, and what he's done for us, what we've been on the receiving end from him. Worship is always a response. We do not start worship. We are the second to the game. God starts by moving and by acting, and we respond to his actions with worship. We are not here today trying to get God to do stuff for us by going through spiritual actions. God has already moved. He's already acted. And so we come and we respond. Excuse me. <clears throat> That's why when we're singing songs, when we're worshiping, we're trying to stir your heart. Because maybe as you arrived here today, you'd forgotten. <laughs> and you needed to be reminded why God was worthy of this time and of, the, of your attention and worship. The fact that we worship on a Sunday is a classic example. The church used to worship on a Saturday. And then when Jesus was resurrected, they said if Jesus was resurrected on the Sunday, we should respond and worship on the Sunday. So when we worship, we're worshiping on the same day that Jesus himself was resurrected. It's the Lord's day. It's the first day. We don't think of it now, but Sunday has been seen as the first day of the week. So by worshiping on the first day of the week, you're giving God first. You're giving him your best. 
You're saying, this is the priority. It's the thing we're going to do at the very start. Oh, thanks, Bertha. Thanks. So worship is a response. The word worship comes from the old English word, worth-ship, which I think they stopped using because everybody was spitting on each other when they said, welcome to worth-ship. But it means that God is, he's worthy. He's worthy. And so we respond to him with our whole life. Who he is and what he's done is so worth our full and total response in worship. So worship is the choice that we make to live our lives in grateful response to what God has done. That's not reduced to an hour on Sunday or to 20 minutes of singing in the middle of a service. It's why we care for the poor. It's why we welcome the refugee. It's why we serve others in their times of need. It's why we tithe from our incomes. It's why we give of ourselves to help anybody that we can. Because after all God has done for us, we just want to give ourselves fully and completely to him. And this desire to respond to God's goodness as an act of worship has always been something that believers have done together in community. That at the heart of the church, there's been this gathered group of people who've come together for corporate worship. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the people got together, recognizing that there's something sacred that happens when God's people come together to proclaim his worth as a family. So I want to talk about worship this morning, kind of our corporate worship, the, the, what we do on Sunday. There's all other kinds of times you can give your whole life to worship. But I want to talk specifically about Sunday morning, and I want to talk about the why. And I'm going to give you five kind of whys we gather for worship. I'm going to move a little bit quickly, um, but you can hang on and we'll get there. The first is this, and I hope this is helpful. If you have grew up in church, and you kind of had to go to church or else, because your folks made you, or you felt that for some reason, if you didn't go to church, God wasn't going to answer your prayers, or you needed to get a star by your name. And then I hope this is refreshing for you, because it's not about any of that. And maybe if you're new to church, and you're here, and you think, I have no idea what you people are doing. This is weird to me, and strange to me. Maybe some of this will, will help be helpful to you. So five things. First, it's a time to be recentered. A time to be recentered. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but life can lay a beating on us. And in the run of a week, our perspective, our sense of what is right and wrong, our conviction to do the right thing, our sense of what is truly worthy and what is unworthy, and our belief can get bent and broken. I don't know if you've ever gone swimming at the beach. You lay your towel down on the sand. You kind of go straight into the water. You swim for 10 or 15 minutes, and you come back off straight in out of the water, and you realize you're 100 yards to the right of where you started. You've drifted, and you didn't even know it. You thought you were kind of exactly where you started. This happens in life. We drift. And we have these moments where we realize we are straying, and we almost catch ourselves a little bit by surprise. And we might even say to ourselves, a year ago I could not have imagined that I would be here doing this. And so in worship we get called back. In the Psalms there's this common theme in, in the Psalms where the psalmist is angry and where the psalmist is upset at the start. If you read those Psalms, they start out kind of where the psalmist is upset and then there's something that happens in the middle of the Psalm. They have this encounter with the Lord. And by the end of the psalm, they've got the happy clappies. God is faithful, he's good, he can be trusted. 
Now, their circumstances have not changed, but they've been recentered, and they've been reminded that God is good. He's faithful, and I can trust him no matter what. One of the reasons we gather together, one of the things that we would hope would happen is that if you've had a difficult time, if your faith is starting to wane, if you've got some questions and some hurts, that this would be a time when you would get to be recentered. And we take this seriously. I remember a couple of years ago, um, it was at the, this service, uh, I was standing at the back and I was watching a couple come into the service who were very upset. And they came and they sat in their seats and I was behind them and I could see that they were very emotional. I could see that, that she was starting to weep and I could see that he just kind of tenderly put his hand on her back and just kind of acknowledged that she was in a difficult space. Something was going on. And I remember immediately thinking to myself, what will be in our service today that will provide comfort and encouragement to them? Is it going to be one of the songs? Is it going to be something that we've talked about in terms of preparing the prayer? Is there something in the message? What will be here today that will be a gift to them to help them be recentered? And of course, it's not on all in us. The Holy Spirit is here and the Holy Spirit can do all things. But it's one of the things that we think about when we put a service together. So it's time of, to be recentered. <clears throat> Secondly, it's a time to hear God speak through the scriptures. It's a time to hear God speak through the scriptures. The book of Acts gives a description of the early church, a gathering together in homes and synagogues and down by the river. And as part of their gathering, they opened up the scriptures, which at that time would have been the Old Testament, and later the first books of the New Testament. And they read it. And they talked about it. And they wrestled with how they would apply it to their lives. In fact, as Paul is instructing young Timothy, the young pastor, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to teaching, which was Paul's way of saying this is important and figure out how to live this in your lives. And we continue this tradition today. We gather to hear the Scriptures with the expectation that God is going to speak to us. And it will probably not come from something that someone on the stage says. It will be something that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about in your own heart as you're hearing the word spoken. We can help you hear. We can help you understand. But it is each of our responsibility to wrestle with how do we apply this to our lives. James says, do not deceive yourselves if you think that hearing and understanding is all that God asks. He wants you to apply it to your life. And we know that God's word is powerful. And as you open your heart and faith and listen to it and wrestle with it and start to apply it to your life, you will experience the life of God in your life. We work hard to try to make it accessible to people. Sometimes when I'm preaching, maybe from the Gospels, I'll say, you know, there's four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I've had people come up and say, why do you do that? Everybody knows that there's four Gospels, and no, they don't. I know that they don't. There's a number of you who are here today who are just starting out reading the Scriptures, and we are so excited for you, but we want to do everything we can to help you understand this Word, because as you put it into practice in your life, it will change your life. So the attitude we should have as we come together when the word is opened is, God, what is it that you want to say to me today? 
I joked when we did our January series, when we preached through the same passage for four weeks, remember that? And uh, I told you to bring your pens and your highlighters and your big notebooks or whatever you needed to bring. I love that. Because that's our sign that, God, we were taking this seriously. Third, mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement. Sometimes if I'm standing in the foyer before a service, someone will come on in and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I just listened to Charles Stanley on the way in here. And then I listened to Andy Stanley. And I was listening to T.J. T.J. T.D. Jakes. Thank you. Last night. And part of me wants to say, then what are you doing here? You and I can go home, and because of the internet, you can listen to your favorite and some of the world's best preachers every Sunday. You can listen to your absolute favorite worship style on services or watch the musicians, and you can do that for 23 hours a day until you die. I promise you, there's enough material and content out there for you to enjoy. But you're still missing something. You're missing the person in front of you and the person behind you. The person to your right and the person to your left. An essential part of worship is the family of God being the family of God to each other. So much of God's design for worship is all the stuff that doesn't happen on the stage or in the context of the actual order of service. It's when you stop and visit, when you listen to each other, as Steve had talked about, when you welcome and introduce yourself to people, when we pray for each other, because that's what a family does for each other. The Christian life was never intended to be lived on your own. And when we gather for worship, we're reminded that these people are in my corner. And if I need them, they're going to be here for me. And I'm in their corner. And when they need me, I'm going to be there for them. Not long ago, a member of our church lost a loved one. And after the funeral, I was speaking to them, and they said, Pastor Rob, I probably won't be able to come to the service on Sunday. It'll be too difficult. And I said, I completely understand. And then on Sunday, I saw them in the foyer. And so I went to speak to them, and I said, hey, it's great to see you here today. And they said, I needed to be here today. I needed to be with everybody. They needed you. They needed you. Sometimes you need to be here because you need someone to encourage you and to bless you. And sometimes you need to be here because God is going to use you to be a blessing and an encouragement to somebody else and you had no idea. This is what it means to be part of a family. Now, this is hard. I understand. We live in a very consumeristic, individualistic culture, which means we have been trained to think that it should all be about me and it should be my very favorite. And you know who's the worst about this? Pastors. We're the worst. Never go to church with a pastor. I went away last weekend on vacation with my family, and we went to a service at a little country church, beautiful service. And when we were walking in that door, I had to have a little conversation with myself. (laughs) You are not here to evaluate this service. (laughs) You are here to participate in this service. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. If you're like me and you struggle with this, here's the prayer I want you to pray when you drive here on a Sunday morning. God, give me the opportunity to encourage, bless, or pray for someone today, for I will not leave until I've done so. And you will discover that a gathering like this is an opportunity to be here for your fellow church members. Fourth transformation. 
These words in 2 Corinthians are some of my favorite. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed, changed into His glorious image. The Lord wants to be transforming us into His image and worship is one of the ways that we do this. In other words, when you and I as sinful people come into the presence of a holy God and are reminded of his goodness and his grace, of his holiness and of his standards, we come face to face with our own brokenness and need of God to be changing us. And worship becomes one of the times when the Lord does that. So as we gather together for worship, we should expect that the Lord is going to maybe point something out in our lives that he wants to change. God, show me where I'm getting in the way of the life that you want for me. Show me where my pride needs to die, where my attitude is offensive and does not reflect the heart of Christ. Lord, show me where I'm being selfish and completely blind to it. And, God, show me where the good way is because I'm lost right now and I need to find it. Lord, show me where true peace can be found because my heart is a mess. And show me your yoke, because the burden that I am carrying is not light. Can I offer a practical suggestion to you? If you want to come to worship and have the Lord kind of do this kind of work in your life, it's going to require some preparation before you get here. Let me give you two scenarios. Person one, stays up till 3 a.m. cheering for the Raptors, okay? Um, wakes up at 10.45 a.m., gets to the service 10 minutes late, they haven't had breakfast, so they're hungry, they're tired, their phone is buzzing the entire service, and they check it every time it buzzes, and they have to leave early because they've got something else on. Person number two, gets a decent, nice rest, has a breakfast before they get here, they're praying on their way to the service, Lord, I've set this time aside for you. Speak to my heart. Which person is probably most likely to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in their life? Obviously, I'm exaggerating. But the point is this. If we expect the Lord to do something significant in our lives in this space of worship, it will require us to come here with the right attitude. God's in the business of transformation. Fifth, our worship is part of our witness. When we put God first and give him our best, people take notice. When we put God first and give him our best, people take notice. This is not about church attendance. This is about the Lord being the priority of our lives. There's a great story in the book of 2 Samuel that I love. Uh, David the king was once leading in a difficult time. Uh, he had been disobedient, and it was having a devastating effect on his people. He knew that he needed to have a time of worship with the Lord and set things right. The problem was he was away from the temple. So he decided to approach the local farmer and have a service of worship on his land. And when the farmer saw him coming, he recognized him right away as David. And wanting to honor and bless him, he offered David space, he offered him wood for a fire, and he offered him an animal for the sacrifice free of charge. And David's words are powerful. He says, I will not offer anything to the Lord that does not cost me. I won't give anything to the Lord that does not cost me. Can you imagine the influence and the impact that had on the people watching David in that moment of worship? He made a statement about what God is worth to him. 
Because of who God is and what he has done, David was willing to give his life in fullness to the Lord. Let's be honest. Inquiring minds want to know, is the, God, is the Lord worthy? Is he worthy of what we have to offer? Is he worthy of giving your life to? And he gives an opportunity for us to give demonstration for what that would look like. Let me just say this as we close. Some of my most meaningful moments with the Lord have happened in a service of worship. Moments where I came beaten up, discouraged, grouchy, and the Lord met me and recentered me. Moments where I was sitting here and someone was speaking and the word of God jumped off the page at me and just was reading my mail, just spoke to me powerfully. Moments where I've been here and someone has prayed for me, offered an encouraging word to me that was just life-giving. They had no idea how life-giving it was for me in that moment. Incredible moments. And that's what we would want for you. But this is important when we gather together, that the Lord would be active and working in our midst. So let me pray for us. God, today we, we just give thanks because of who you are. Because of your kindness, because of your grace, because of the mercy you have shown to us, because of your patience, incredible, incredible patience with us. God, we thank you that you have just chosen to be faithful to us no matter what. And we remember today what you have done in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who offered a way for us to be in relationship with you, for the Holy Spirit that lives in us and is doing that transforming work, but has also planted this vision of the kingdom of God in our hearts that we can be a part of as we give our lives to you. And so, Lord, we just pause today just to give thanks and to worship you for all these things.